Today's topic is to get to know God in the midst of celebration. Probably something that doesn't get preached about a whole lot, the theology of celebration. But it's, it's vitally important. Some people have more, have a more uh, lean more towards partying than others. Some people love and look for excuses to celebrate anything, like my wife. Other people avoid parties and celebrations at all costs. And yet, God is in the midst of celebration. Let's, if you want to get your Bibles out, um, I'm going to read this. It might be the trans, this translation might be up on the screen. Hope it is. The scripture that we're going to be looking at today is a very small scripture from a very small book in the Old Testament. And it is vital for us to get into our hearts today. This is Zephaniah 317. This is the World English Bible translation. I picked it because it translates your Lord. Out, you know, in your Bible, if your Bible might say capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That, that direct translation is Yahweh, the personal God. So Zephaniah 317 says this. Yahweh... Your God, I love this, is in the midst of you. A mighty one who saves, or a mighty warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will calm you in his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Now this is a, let me put it in a context. Usually pastors like myself will pick out a scripture that we like and we make it say what we want it to say. It is vitally important that we look at it in the context of what's really going on. Zephaniah is what we call a minor prophet. He is a he is a prophet during the reign of King Josiah, the good reformer king. There's not many good kings in Judah, he, but he's one of them. Him and Hezekiah are one of them. And Zephaniah, ironically, is a relative of one of the kings, King Hezekiah. So there is a royal lineage going on in this scripture. When we get into the heart of who God is, Josiah started to, like what we did last year, started to remodel this temple. It had been a couple of years. They needed some new carpets. They needed to change the lights out from candles to LEDs. It needed to be freshened up. Did anybody do any remodeling of their home this past year? A few of you, right? How many of you found your old Bible? Mike Noyes lost his Bible not too long ago. Did you ever find it? There it is. So he found his Bible hiding in a closet. Maybe if you did some remodeling, you might have found your Bible under your bed. Or like hiding in a closet or covered with dust in a corner somewhere, and you, you dust it off, and you're like, Oh, I haven't opened this in a while. And, and you begin to read it, and you're like, oh, I forgot the word of God. I forgot how awesome it was. Well, King Josiah, during the time, the prophetic career of Zephaniah, did the same thing. He started to remodel the temple. And they're like, oh, my gosh, we just found the Torah. They had gone hundreds of years, and they lost their Bible. You thought it was bad when you lost your Bible. They went hundreds of years without the Scripture. Like something happened inside of good King Josiah that he was like, something's not right here. Something's a little sideways. We've got this beautiful temple and we've got, uh, well, we've got, a, we've got a, a statue of Baal in this, in this temple and we've got a statue of Asherah in this temple and we've got, the, you know, a display of the heavenly hosts of the pantheon of gods. It was a huge problem. This idolatry that seeped in. And Josiah knew that it wasn't right. And he knew it wasn't right in his spirit. 
But the problem was they had no spoken word, no written word. They didn't have the law. They didn't have the Torah because somebody lost it in the temple. And they find it and they unroll the scrolls. And we believe that it is the Torah. We believe that Josiah unrolled Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. We like for the very first time, he reads them. And after he reads the word of God, his spirit is so moved. And they go into full-blown mourning because what they're reading in the Word of God is that there is consequences for idolatry. And they're in the, they're in the midst, they're in the big middle of idolatry. So Josiah, he yanks out. Not only does he just you know, paint the sanctuary, he gets rid of all the idols. He gets them all. And then they begin to read the Word of God out loud in the public setting. Politically, what's taking place in this time is that the Assyrian Empire is fracturing and falling apart. A little bit of a power grab. The Neo-Babylonians are coming into power. Uh, the Egyptians are jockeying for power. and uh, The Persians are also in the mix. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. But what is taking place is that Israel is free because there's a power vacuum at this moment. But what has been prophesied is the coming judgment and the exile of God's people. And it almost seems like for a moment, maybe, just maybe, that can be put off if people turn their hearts towards the Lord. But if you've read your Bible, you know that's not the case. Because the exile is coming, and God's judgment is coming, and despite Josiah's goodness, he can't undo what has already taken place. Zephaniah is a beautiful little book, a minor prophet, minor because it's short, not minor because he's not important. In the beginnings of Zephaniah, we get very encouraging words like this in verse 5. I will destroy you, thus says the Lord. Right? So that's part of it. It's like, what? It is filled, these few chapters is filled with prophetic imagery that's going to take place. Very vivid, harsh, at times seemingly unfair judgment. But let's Read it again. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten the scriptures and what the Bible is telling us today. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you come and help us to read our word well. Help us to read what the scriptures are saying to us. Not just what we want to hear and what we want to read or text that we want to push. But help us to allow the scriptures to reveal to us who the personal God is that loves us. In your name, amen. Same scripture uh, from my Bible this time, and so I'm going to say Lord instead of Yahweh. Verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion, and shout, Aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice within all of your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your punishment. Amen? Like, it, the Lord has taken away the punishment. And here's the, here, but here's the context. The punishment hasn't come yet. They have not yet moved into exile, but he is already declaring victory and saying we're going to take away the punishment he has turned back your enemy the lord the king of israel okay pause real quick yahweh the king of israel is that interesting to you it's interesting to me who did it say the king of israel was josiah and yet Zephaniah is recalibrating people's minds to think and to know the truth that Yahweh is actually the king of Israel and not the king of Israel. Now, the kings are very important. But Yahweh 
is the king of all kings. He is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. And again, the Lord, Yahweh, your God, is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. We sang to the Lord earlier this morning. We sang and we praised God. We sang to him. We sang at him. Hopefully you were in the band. Were you in the band this morning? Hopefully you were in the band. We sing to at God. But God sings over us. He's, he, we, like, we don't necessarily get that, but he is singing over us. Not to lord over us, but to, to show us and to encourage us and to inspire us. And there's a very active word, this singing over us. It's almost like he's, he's, it's like a, an interpretive dance singing over us. Like he is really excited about you, is what this scripture is saying. The sorrows for the appointed feasts I will remove from you. They are a burden and, I will, and a reproach to you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. It hasn't happened yet, but God's promising he's going to deal with those Babylonians. I will rescue the lame and, the, and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were Put to shame, and at that time I will gather you, and at that time I will give you a home, and I will give you honor and praise among the peoples of earth, and I will restore your fortunes before your very eyes. Amen? So, it is vitally important when you read your scripture, um, you don't stop at the point where it says, I'm going to destroy you all because you've been naughty. You have to read it in its context because you will see the very heart of God at the end. Maybe at the beginning, see some details in the middle, but the heart of God is, is revealed at the end. And his heart for you is he loves you and he's rejoicing over you. He is, in essence, celebrating and he's celebrating you. Isn't that exciting? He's celebrating you right now. The fact that you drug out of bed, maybe you didn't want to. His desire for you is that you come into his house with thanksgiving and with praise. You're coming in to celebrate. And I think that this mindset is, is getting lost these days. And, and maybe it's a, you know, the fault of pastors like myself. Because we want to make sure that you're obeying and you're straightening up. But obedience, repentance, introspective sad feelings, feeling guilty, that's not the purpose of worship. Now, those things do take place. You come into the house of the Lord and God begins to work on you, begins to speak life into your very being, and you might feel conviction. If you are in a mourning season and maybe you are not mourning well, the Lord will gently lead you into the proper posture for mourning so that, that you can be healthy and that you can grow. So these things do take place. But the scriptures are very clear. The joy comes in the morning. And it is, it is only the kindness of God that leads his children into repentance. It's, it, we are definitely called to fear of the Lord. That's definitely clear all over the scriptures. It's a proper relationship to God. But yet, repentance requires a turning away. And when you turn away from sin and when you turn away from darkness and, and poverty mindsets, whatever your thing is, when you turn away from it and you repent and you go the other way, it's nothing but bright lights. They're all green. And if you have repented 
And, and if you're not feeling the joy of the Lord, we've got a little more work to do. Does that, is that okay? We've just got a little more work to do. Because the purpose of repentance is joy. Just like the purpose of corporate worship is, yeah, to give praise and honor and love to our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a celebration. And the, the very fact that the, the celebrations and parties and feasts and festivals, they're all over the Old Testament. And we don't appreciate them like they did back then. But it is vital. It is a rhythm. And God has created us to celebrate. That's, that's our, This is what Zephaniah 3.17 is showing us. That your purpose, and you have probably more than one purpose, but this scripture, along with many others, is telling us that your purpose is to celebrate. Isn't that cool? Have you ever thought about it in that way, that your purpose is to celebrate? To celebrate God's goodness and to celebrate others? It's why, you've, it's why you're here. It's one of the reasons why you're here. It is, again, it is the purpose of worship, is to come into his presence and to celebrate his goodness. Some of us do it better than others. I am not good at it because I make myself. Naturally, I'm not good at it. It kind of even goes against my nature. But I know that if, I, if I'm going to be obedient to the word of God, I must position myself to celebrate. This does not come naturally to me. Don't like raising my hands. Don't do it at concerts. But scriptures say, men raise up holy hands, and so therefore I do it. And because I do it, I step into blessing. Our staff wants to curate a culture at Granite Creek that is celebratory. Yeah, we want to teach you stuff. We want you to celebrate. That's what nativity is all about. That's what fall into fun was all about. Like, wow, we get, we get to come into God's presence and celebrate. You know who doesn't want to celebrate? The devil. He does not want to celebrate. And in fact, when during the week, when we, well, we go to work on Sunday, sort of. We need to Sabbath on Sunday. But during the week, we will review Sunday. During the week, we will pray for the following Sunday. And our, our objective is to make sure that our celebration service is not sabotaged. The enemy of God wants to sabotage your celebration. That's his strategy. He's pretty good at it, but we can't allow him to be good at it anymore. If you leave church depressed, stressed, uh, not calm, did you guys catch that in the, in the Zechariah part? The love of the Lord will calm you down. If you're not calm, if you're all wound up and worked up, I'm not saying that passion is good, right? We want to be passionate. Amen? There's nothing wrong with uh, our emotional state. Well, there could be something wrong with your emotional state. But God created your emotions. He wants you to become emotionally healthy. But if you are not calm, if you have if you're not leaving church like you've just left a great party, then we've got some work to do. So, let, let, let's let's talk about some of the enemy's tactics to sabotage celebration. One thing that he does, again, as a staff, we address this, and I want to encourage you to take the same practice and address it in your own personal lives. As a staff, we will address the issue of enemy sabotagers, Provocateurs. That's a new word these days, right? If you've been following politics, you understand this idea of enemy provocateurs. 
So uh, political agents on both sides of the camp, they will send in, intentionally, they will send in bad agents, bad apples to disrupt any type of a meeting or protest or whatever it might be. You can't trust anybody these days because you don't know who's sitting in your midst. It could be your best friend or it could be somebody from the enemy's camp. And so we have to even, I mean, that sounds kind of extreme, but I just want you to get this into your mind, that the enemy of God has assigned provocateurs to infiltrate churches. We're doing pretty good. We kick out the snakes. We don't really even kick them out. It just takes a little bit of kindness and a little bit of love and a little bit of a firmness. And they're like, eh, okay, I guess, I guess I can't scam this one. An enemy provocateur will come in and sow seeds of doubt, of dissension, of anger, of division, anything that is opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, an enemy provocateur will give you. Enemy provocateurs um, don't necessarily talk in public. They pull people aside, and they whisper things in their ears. Now, the enemy provocateur can be a person. You ready for this? The enemy provocateur can also be a spirit. Ah. Things that we don't like to talk about these days in our materialistic world. Um, when I say materialistic, it's not just you know buying Porsches and, and houses and, and rings and things like that. that. That's one aspect of materialism. But the other aspect of materialism that's definitely a part of our culture is that we don't believe in the spiritual realm anymore. And I'm telling you, it's real. And so... Sometimes it's actual people that the enemy of God will send in to disrupt, and sometimes it's just a spirit, or sometimes it's just a thought. Again, our purpose here on Sunday morning is, is it's, it's Sabbath Sunday. We're here, to, we're here to celebrate. And yet, on Sunday mornings, I, I get in more fights with my wife than any other day of the week. Why is that? The provocateur. This is why it's important that we hold every thought captive, specifically on Sunday morning, when the enemy of God is jamming thoughts into your head that says, you don't go to church today, you need to sleep in. You don't need to do this because, it's, because well, they're, they're, they're what you, you fill in the blank. Whatever negative thought you've ever had about people in church, they're all a bunch of hypocrites, uh, they're all liars, it's all a scam, why am I doing this? Those are all a provocateur that, that is seeping bad thoughts. Why? Because the enemy of God does not want you to celebrate. Second thing that the enemy of God will do is he allows us and encourages us to default to our flesh. Oh, we're all broken and needy people, and the enemy of God will highlight that, okay, well, this is his weakness, so let's pour some gasoline on it. And he's, he's actually very good at doing that. I have a really great poem by the Beastie Boys, and I'm going to skip it. <laughs> but it's called Sabotage. The, the, the idea about Beastie Boys' Sabotage, you probably shouldn't listen to that song. But it does, it, it does sound, and he uses the word Lord, and he uses the word God, and he uses the word thorn in my side, a thorn in my flesh. It's fascinating. But the idea behind the rap song is that somebody has come in to sabotage his session, just to, to wreck his party. If you've been created to celebrate, we're doing it on here on Sunday. How was your Thanksgiving? 
Do you know that Thanksgiving is a celebration? I mean, yeah, right? A lot of people don't feel that way, but it is, it is a celebration. How did you guys do? Was it difficult? Did you have to deal with a negative Nancy on Thanksgiving dinner? Or Uncle Bob and his politics? You know the saying, one bad apple spoils the what? The whole bunch. Okay. So, again, it is the strategy of the enemy to bring a bad apple and to drop it into our midst. So, to ruin your party, to ruin your celebration. Uh, I have a quote. I'm going to read this. All badness, okay, all badness, all evil is spoiled goodness. A bad apple is a good apple that becomes rotten. Amen? Okay, so we're all good apples here today. And we have to choose not to become a bad apple. So even you can be a provocateur if you do not guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Because evil has no capital of its own, it is a parasite that feeds off of goodness. John Fulton Sheen. So we need to be aware of bad apples. We need to make sure that we don't become a bad apple. The second saboteur of celebration, something I know a lot about, is self-sabotage. Self-sabotage is something that keeps us from moving into celebration, that keeps us from stepping into blessing and having God uh, curate our lives, stepping into our destiny, we have this incredible ability to self-sabotage. How do, why do we do this and where does it come from? One, it is self-sabotage. Okay, you guys okay? We're going to go deep for a second. The enemy of God will pick up on your insecurities and will begin to feed negative thoughts into your heart and into your mind. Self-sabotage comes from, one of them, comes from a fear of success. A fear of success. Most of us want to be successful. We want, we want to step into God's blessings. We want to have a breakthrough. We want to have a transformation. These are our prayers. These are our desires. But when the Lord presents the opportunity to step across that threshold into a blessing, a battle begins in the mind. And then we come to the realization that if I step into this success, my life will change. My identity could change, my responsibilities could change. When I was in college, not a very good student, by the way, actually not a good student at all. Like I barely got by in most of my classes throughout elementary school, junior high, and high school. I don't even know how I got into college, but I got into college, was not a very good student. I took biblical archaeology. I don't know what it was about that class. The professor was amazing. Um, Westmont got him from Harvard, so he was a Harvard professor, and he studied at Harvard, PhD, uh, archaeologist. And there was something about the subject that I just gravitated to, and I was really good at it. I just took to it very easily. My mind had a way to understand not only the history, but to understand the, the, the processes of archaeology. And so more than halfway through the semester, taking this class, and my Harvard professor, do you know how you can tell a Harvard professor? You know how you can tell a Harvard man? You, you can always tell a Harvard man, but you just can't tell them much. This, but I'm, and so in my class was 
two valedictorians, magna cum laude, uh, a savant. Like this, I had this one kid, one friend of mine named Mark. He's a, he's a genius. Like he could play Mozart, and then he could play it backwards, kind of genius. And so I was like in this class with all of these very smart people. And I had no idea how well I was doing in the class. And the professor says, in front of everybody, Josh, you're getting an A, and you're at the top of the class. That success freaked me out. Now, I'm a competitive guy. I cheat at board games. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm competitive athletically. I like that kind of stuff. I had no idea that academics was a competitive sport because these, these cum laude kids, like, they just, they just like, what? That guy is head of the class? And it was on. Like, so it was like, they were like, okay, we're going to compete. He can't be number one. We got to need to be number one. So it was, just, it was a really weird world that I stepped into. I had no idea that academics competed that way. I thought they were all just a bunch of smart kids and nerds and stuff. Um, sorry. Something happened in me psychologically that sabotaged my position. I could not handle being number one in that class because that was not my identity. Even though it, the subject came naturally to me, I was good at it, I wanted to do it, I loved it, I was passionate about it, I couldn't handle the success, and so I sabotaged it. I still got an A, but I was no longer number one in the class because I didn't know how to deal with that. It messed with my identity. Because my identity was not the top of the class. My identity was the class clown. Amen? But see, God does not want you to remain mediocre. He wants to take you up into new levels, so he wants to, you to celebrate. So we can't self-sabotage ourselves in these areas. He literally wants to transform you into a new being. So don't allow yourself to sabotage in that area. You're worth it. You deserve God's blessings. I know it might not feel like it. I know that might seem like cycle babble, but the scriptures are very clear. And what this is, happens on the cross, it's very clear to us that, that he sees us worthy of the cross. He sees us worthy of the death of his son, Jesus Christ. He sees us like we deserve it, which we don't. We know what we deserve. But he sees it completely different. So I had to change, I'm still working on it, folks. I had to change how I stepped into success, and I needed to celebrate that success. Instead, I let it freak me out. The other thing that we do that self-sabotages, and I think this is very important for this day and age, is, okay, yes, you are, you are a created, emotional being, and passion is good, yes, Right? You need to have a joy. You need to have a passion. You need to have a drive. God created you to have feelings. When bad things happen, you should react and you should feel sad. When people are mourning, you should mourn with those that mourn. Like There's so much input that's dulling our emotional senses. So we have to, we have to be in touch with our emotions. 100% positive on that. But the other side of the coin is we must become emotionally healthy followers of Christ. In that, we cannot allow our emotions to dictate our spiritual direction and future. We are in control of our emotions spiritually. Our emotions are not in control of us. Another illustration. In high school, I was on the wrestling team. I was really good. Again, it came naturally. My junior year, I varsityed, and I was uh, seated to take league. It was just going to happen. I was killing everybody. And then halfway through the season, 
I get thrown, and I dislocated my arm. My arm was literally hanging down here, this way, bent the wrong way. That messed me up. Like, it was very, one of the most tragic things that I've had to deal with was losing that, being injured. It was hard. So, obviously, I, I was out of, the, out of the, the running. My senior year, uh, I, was, I was still good, but I was a little gun-shy because of the injury, you know? I don't know, PTSD, I didn't have PTSD. But, you know, there's just a little bit of, like, a little bit of insecurity. I didn't want that to happen again. I wasn't as, as aggressive as I once was, but I was still seated to take leak. And in league finals, I'm wrestling the guy that, I mean, it's, 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 it's the two of us. Like, we're both the best in the league. I'm at Altaloma. He's at Upland. It's a big showdown. And I had him. I was winning by points. The meet was almost over. The match was almost over. And I don't know what happened, but I sabotaged that match. It was, and I, I honestly, I still can't quite figure it out. But what I do know what happened is my emotions got the better of me. My emotional state derailed my training, my fitness, my mental stability. And even though I had him by, by points, I was going to win the match within seconds, I full Nelsoned the guy, which is illegal to do. I, I, I fouled myself out. And I lost the match, and I got number two instead of number one. Why did I do that? I self-sabotaged because there was something inside of me that just said, you, you got to do this. And I did not listen to my training. I listened to my, my rage or my emotions or whatever, but it did not play out well. You remember good King Hezekiah, who was the king during the, reign, or the, the prophetic career of Zephaniah? Again, he, he gutted the temple and he cleaned everything out. He was, he was a great king. He, he ushered in reform. He ushered in a revival. He was literally changing the culture and the atmosphere of the people. He led, a, he led repentance that turned into joy. And remember that power vacuum that I told you about earlier? Syrian Empire falling apart. The Neo-Babylonians are trying to get their act together. Egypt is trying to move in on this. Uh, Israel is free. They can breathe for a moment they're, because they're always stuck in the middle. Israel's always stuck in the middle between world powers. And good King Hezekiah, like, pulls a brave heart. He pulls a, we are Sparta! Like, like, if you read the story, we don't know what the heck he was thinking. He decides to go to war when, the, when his enemies are literally fighting each other. Like, he, they don't have to do anything. Israel just needs to sit back. Drink some Manischewitz. Like, they just need to chill out. They need to calm down. They can just sit back and watch the show because God's enemies are literally killing each other. But there was an emotional, unhealthy response. I don't know if it had to do with Josiah's ego, if he wanted to win a battle, but he decides to go to war and fight Nico, the, the Pharaoh, the Egyptian. And he gets slain in battle. And when the scriptures write about Josiah's death, it's not Braveheart, guys. It was, uh, yeah, he went against the, the council of the prophets. But yeah, God didn't want him to do this, and he just did it anyway. This is kind of sad. Point is, you and me, we have these emotional impulse, impulses that we think we might be doing something good when actually we're not. We're doing more damage than good. The saboteurs of celebration are enemy provocateurs and self-sabotage. How do you overcome it? Well, we do what Zephaniah says. One, we slow down, we calm down, and we stop and smell the roses. 
The Lord, Yahweh, your God, is with you. He is in your midst. God's with you. He is in the midst of you, and he is in your midst. You are in him, and he is in you. Most of the time, we don't recognize this. When you are in the midst of the Lord, it's just not here on Sunday. Hopefully, it was with you on Thursday. And, and that is, that's, that's the big idea, everybody, is that when, when, when we need to get to know God better, we need to get to know God better in the midst of each and every celebration. Thanksgiving, Christmas is a coming. Does New Year's count? I don't know. But birthdays, anniversaries, we, like we need to learn how to celebrate these things. Again, I'm not, good at, I'm not good at this. This is why I married my wife, Mako. She is amazing at making me celebrate because, I'm, again, I'm not good at it. Like, I don't like birthdays because I'm getting older. She's like, well, you're going to like your birthday, and we're going to celebrate it, and you're going to have a great time. Okay, Josh? I'm like, yes, yes honey. <laughs> yes, dear. She has, she has trained me to celebrate in these ways, to stop and just, like, take it all in, the good things that God has done, the, the relationships that we have, to be thankful and to celebrate those. Uh, years ago, a pastor friend of mine I don't know. I was all stressed out about something. Have you ever been all distressed out about something? All worked up. I'm all wound up. I'm all tight. My friend says, when was the last time you celebrated a win? I'm like, shut up, Ray. I don't have time to celebrate right now. I got stuff to do. No, no, no. Josh, slow down. When was the last time you recognized and celebrated a win in your staff? Life comes there. God is in the midst of that. Stop and celebrate a win with the Lord. Um, See the cross here? What's it, what's it symbolize? What's it represent? Salvation? The blood of Jesus? What else? What's that do to sin and death? Victory. Victory over sin and death. There's a reason why my wife forces me to celebrate. There's a reason why there is all kinds of celebrations in the, in the Old Testament. One of which is the Passover what? The Passover dirge? The Passover funeral? The Passover sadness? Remembering how bad things were? It is the Passover festival. And we celebrate the feast of what? Of unleavened bread. It's a feast. It's a party. The enemy of God wants to come in and crash your party. But let's not allow him to do that. This represents victory over sin and death. And when we receive communion, we are celebrating what he has done for us. It is is the Passover meal. It is the feast of the unleavened bread. It's a party. Isn't Isn't that cool? Isn't it a different way of seeing it? And again, victory over sin and death. The war has already been won. The battle is over. Right? You guys know that. The victory has been won. We have won. Jesus has won. He's overcome sin and death. Done deal. Let's celebrate that. Furthermore, The Lord wants to rejoice and to celebrate and to sing over you. He wants to celebrate you. He is rejoicing over you. Why? Because you are in him and he is in you. The victory that he has accomplished on the cross is also residing and present inside of you. We have the victory. It's a huge mindset to think about, but we... we, we have, we have the victory. We don't realize that we are walking in victory, but we have the victory. 
Because Jesus has won it, that means that we have won it. So let's just stop, let's just stop sabotaging this thing. Let's just step into what God has done for us, the goodness of God, the kindness of God. Landon, come on up. All right, let's grab your communion elements. And let's celebrate a win today. Yeah? You want to celebrate a win today? Are you guys okay with these things, by the way? They're kind of easy, right? We'll get the fancy things out of eventually, but I'm kind of getting to like them. When you think about the body of Christ that has been broken, we say it's been broken for provision. It's manna from heaven. Think about it this way. We step into royalty when we take part of the body of Christ. For a moment, Josiah stepped into royalty. Well, he was a royal king, right? But what was exciting about him is that he not only knew that he was a king, he was acting like a king. And so you have a position, you have an identity. Maybe God's changing it and transforming it. But when we take the body, we become more like the king and queen that God has designed us to be. Where, we, where there is a holistic approach to life and spirituality, where we don't make emotional, rash decisions, where we rely on the body for everything that God is doing for us. So when you celebrate this meal, know that transformation takes place only in the body of Christ, only by eating the manna. So receive the transformation and the success and the victory that is found in the body. And it is a good meal. It should taste amazing. I don't think I committed any sins this last week, so I don't think I need this. Just kidding. This is a good drink. It washes away all of our sins. And today, I even want you to consider it as a purification for your mind. Now, maybe you did not cross a line this week. Maybe you did not commit a tangible, material sin. I guarantee you, you thought a thought that you probably should not have thought. And that was probably on the freeway. When we receive the cup, it forgives us of our sins, all unrighteousness, and all impure, defiled thoughts. We need to have our minds renewed by the blood of Christ, healed by the blood of Christ. Our minds need to be forgiven of the things that we've thought and maybe even acted upon. Jesus was very clear. If you murder somebody in your mind, you might as well just have done it in the flesh. It's the same thing. So, Heavenly Father, forgive our minds for what we have thought and sinned in secret places today. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a little bit of an application for celebration. Christmas is coming, right? Christmas is coming. Does anybody have any birthdays in between now and Christmas? So there's some birthdays in the mix. 
Is there any anniversaries in the mix? All right. Right now, maybe you write this down. The next time that you celebrate, get some balloons, get some kazoos. And I don't mean this in a sexist way or bravado, but I am going to challenge men today. Then the next celebration that comes up, you lead in prayer. So you're about ready to cut the Christmas turkey. Let's make sure that Aunt Tilda doesn't take over. You lead the prayer. You lead the prayer. Even if you feel uncomfortable about praying for the meal, at least assign Aunt Tilda to pray over the meal. It, it's vitally important because it's going to model something to your family. It's going to model from the position of a father that the father knows how to celebrate. And, and you just need to, you need to lead in that way. So there is your practical application. You've got lots of time to think about it. You've got lots of time to prepare your prayer for that special day. And when you celebrate in that way, just see what God can do. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Speak to us. Bless us. Kept you a little long, so let me send you off with a blessing right now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious towards you, to turn towards you in your times of need. To fill your home and to fill your mind with peace, joy, prosperity, and success. In his name, amen. God bless you guys.